Over the hood, through the streets, and straight into your brain, it's the Sega guys riding a smooth stream of supersonic sound. And I'm your captain and co-host, Dan the Mega Driver. And with me, my co-captain and co-host, if I'm the Mega Driver, the Sega-holic must be Mr. Sega Saturn. How you doing, mate? <laughs> I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. You know where I'm going with that, don't you? <laughs> aye, aye. <laughs> because we are joined by a very special guest today. Because, you know, if I'm the Mega Driver, you're Mr. Sega Saturn. I think I'd say this is the Lord of the Dreamcast. It is the founder of the Dreamcast Drunk Card. It's Tom Charnock. How are you doing, Tom? Wow, that, th- those were amazing <laughs> intros, by the way, I must say. And, uh, I don't think, yeah, I feel a little bit underprepared, to be honest, because, uh, <laughs> I mean, I know you had Peter Moore on last time, and, and I apologise to your, your readers, uh, um, uh, viewers and listeners that are not him, but um, <laughs> I try and I try my best to, uh, to to fill the void that has been left by such a great a great guest, you know. <laughs> See, Tom, Tom's been rubbing me on WhatsApp, like basically saying that he's going to make sure everybody knows that it was him that was basically moved out the way to allow Peter to come on. So, <laughs> you know, it's like the thing is the worst thing about that is is that whenever I actually told Tom that he was coming on, you actually jokingly said, oh, is that me going to get bumped out the way for him? And then he came back. Sorry, just just a minute. Somebody's turned up. uh, Oh, oh, it's Pete. He's just on on voicemail. I'm just just with the Sega guys at the moment. Do you mind? Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, whenever he came back, he said that that I can do do Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific. And I went, that's 9 o'clock on Wednesday. Oh, no. I was like, I need to move Tom, and he just said, "Oh, I'm going to get moved out the way." I'm like, "Oh, fuck. no!" Honestly, to be fair, of all the people to be bumped for, I mean, I think Peter Moore is like the literally the one that I would have said, "Yeah, I can see that." You know, who, you know who's this guy? This guy with this blog, or like the actual guy who ran Sega when the Dreamcast was like, you know, yeah. in its height of its powers. So, yeah, no fair play. No, it's, it was, and it was a great episode as well. I watched it myself live on the premiere. So, uh, yeah, great job. Oh, thank you, mate. I mean, it didn't help that we were meant to record with you the week before that, only for me to uh, have my have my operation and be like, yeah, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And then <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen, um, oh, God, what is that um, that film with, uh, he's the, he's the um, male gigolo, male gigolo film, and he goes for the hair. Oh, um, appointment. Yeah, yeah, I know you <laughs> mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so oh, I'm Juice Bigelow, Juice Bigelow, Bigelow, yeah. Juice Bigelow, that's the one, that's yes, the one. Yeah, yeah. And then, he, he, you know, he, to get with the girl at the end, he takes the... Um, the anesthetic to the head, and it's like, kind of what I was like, James, I don't feel like I'm... I mean, I could have come on. It would have been quite entertaining for quite right. different reasons. What you would probably have been more like was um, Leo DiCaprio on the, the Quaaludes from Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, that is amazing. Get I'm on the podcast. What? <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! Right, I think we probably better get into some sort of some sort of structured conversation at least. <laughs> but Tom, I'm sure everyone listening or watching us knows you and the Dreamcast Junkyard anyway. But you know, for anyone in the rare chance that hasn't, you know, do you want to give a bit of background how you came to found the Dreamcast Junkyard? How did it all begin? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, again, I will apologise to those people maybe watching who have heard me talk about this kind of stuff on on my own, like 
podcast or videos or anything like that uh, because I will be repeating myself quite a lot. But yeah, um, I founded a blog called The Dreamcast Junkyard back in 2005. And it was really just a way of me documenting my rebuying of all the Dreamcast games that I previously owned during the natural lifespan of the system. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think what, how and why I came up with the idea for it, but it was me, it was really just out of boredom. You know, I was just, mm-hmm. I, I'd found this like blogging platform called Blogger, and I think I'd had a few um, like failed attempts at creating something that I wanted to do. Like, a, I think, it, I think I started like a running blog at one point, and then there was another one which was like a sort of a multi platform blog just about games in general. But then um, I bought myself another Dreamcast because um, I'd had one, as I say, during the actual natural lifespan of the system, and I'd sold it. I'm sure we'll get into that in a few, in like you know, in a bit on this on this uh, chat. But um, I bought another one. I was stood at a bus stop, and I was opposite a, a branch of a shop called Game Station. Do you remember those Game Station? Oh yeah, I used to love Game Station. Yeah, it, it was great. Um, and there was a Dreamcast in the window. For, I, I think it was about twenty quid, and I thought, I'm just, I'm sat here, stood at this this bus stop. I was like, I can't believe there's a Dreamcast there for twenty quid. Like, and I had all these games with it. I thought, right, I'm going to buy that just because, why not? You know. So I went in, bought it, and then got home, started playing it, and I was just like, God, I, I, all these memories started coming back to me. You know, about all these great games that I'd owned and played at the time, that the system was contemporary, and then. Yeah, the two kind of worlds collided. This like looking for something to blog about, and also rediscovering the Dreamcast came together. As I say, this would have been in like early two thousand and five. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of where it all started. It was literally just a personal blog for myself to entertain myself, rebuying all these games again. And um, yeah, it, it was almost like a diary. You know, I'd, I'd go mm. to different places, go to like different cities, went to Liverpool went to uh, Stockport, went to all, you know, just all these different places around the Northwest where I was living at the time, finding games in used game shops. Cause at the time they were just so cheap. Yeah. You could just buy them for like, you know, <laughs> like pence sometimes, you know, 99p, buy yeah, one, no. get one free. Yeah. Especially know. in game station. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I just went on this like massive kind of, almost like a bender of like a dreamcast bender <laughs> you know <laughs> buying all these games and just like writing about them and then uh, ebay was in its kind of like in its infancy so i was buying stuff of ebay and then things just started appearing in the post and i just started amassing this like almost like a treasure trove of dreamcast games in my in my room in the shared house where i lived at the time and i, I've, I again I've, I've mentioned this before on other on other podcasts but my housemate that i lived with at the time another guy who was also called tom he basically christened my room the Dreamcast Junkyard because all this stuff was just arriving every day and I would come back and I'd have these big stacks of games on the shelf just inside the door. And, uh, yeah, that's where the name came from. So um, I can't take full credit for the name of the blog. But, um, yeah, it just kind of went from there, really. And, you know, here we are in 2023 and Dreamcast Junkyard is, you know, I'd like to call it a success. It's not like a, a big like financial success or anything like that. It's just but a creative success. You know, it's just a, a labor of love that's been going for this this amount of time. So, yeah, that that's the origin story, if, if you will. I mean, yeah, that's where it comes it, from. It grew arms and legs, and it's just um, you know it's just so widely recognized, respected, and often imitated. There are other junkyards out there, so I mean, you really should take pride in just how how big it became. 
because uh, obviously we're we're huge fans, as we said on on the show we were on. <laughs> you know, you. long time listeners, first time callers. So uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, you, you mentioned the other junkyards. The other junkyards came about because people who came on board to like write for the Dreamcast junkyard decided to go off and do their own thing. And, you know, obviously asked me if it was fun. I'm like, you know, I'm not this kind of great oracle. You do what you want, you know. So you have things like there was some, I think there are some defunct ones now. There was the Nomad junkyard and the Game Gear junkyard. I think the only one that's still currently going is the Sega Saturn junkyard. Yeah. Um, which um, I'm sure you guys have seen, being huge Sega Saturn fans that you are. Um so yeah, it was never my intention to create this kind of brand, if that's the right term. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, and even still to this day, it's not something that I, you know, it's not. I don't go around telling people, "Hi, I'm Tom. I'm Tom from the Dreamcast Junkyard." You, know, you may you may recognise me from from such reviews as you know. <laughs> um, it's literally just a, a passion project, a hobby that I do in, in my spare time. So, and it's not just me. I, I, I must say, it's, it's other people as well. And again. Uh, later on as we chat i'll talk about some of the other people who contribute but um yeah it's it's, it's literally a labor of love and a, and a passion project still to this day 20 years later so yeah and it's, it's crazy the fact that you know it's like the kind of the rise of the junkyard as well it's kind of met this kind of crossroads where like retro gaming's kind of coming up and up and up as well so like more and more people are kind of like maybe yourself, like are kind of coming back to the Dreamcast and we're rediscovering it. So they're going out, out there on Twitter or on the internet, so they're finding a junkyard as well. So it's a kind of crossroads where this kind of rise in popularity and, and kind of retro gaming's kind of just hit you guys as you're coming up as well. And then it's just exploded. It's just, you guys are just like ubiquitous when it comes to, to Dreamcast, you know what I mean? So I. That's actually really. I never knew that about where the, the name came from. It's this like okay, a, so a, a, a slang term for basically your room being full of Dreamcast junk. So that's actually quite basically quite yeah. clever. Yeah, it was. It was. It wasn't even just games. It was like I was buying all sorts of the time. I was buying like different peripherals, like um, steering wheels. You could, I, I bought. Um, there was a period where I went through buying steering wheels for the Dreamcast, and they were at a pound each. They were a pound each and a pound for postage. So I had about seven different types of Dreamcast steering wheel in my room, like Mad Cat's ones and the official Sega one. It was just like, my my room, my housemate was just like, mate, you, that, that's going to be out of hand, this, you know. <laughs> and, and, and even to the point, actually, I forgot about this. I put a lot of my stuff in the, that I'd bought in the in the garage. We had a makeshift garage at the side of the house. And um, one, uh, one we had a really bad uh, period of rain where the, the roof just leaked. But I only found out this about, a month later when I went in the garage to get some stuff that I'd bought from eBay and it was absolutely completely sodden with water and completely damaged. So, but because stuff was that cheap at the time, we're talking 2005 here, I just went back on eBay and rebought it all. <laughs> for, for, like literally for pounds, you know, it was just like, oh, it's all right. It's only, it's only Dreamcast stuff, you know, it's only like a mad cat steering wheel. It's about 70 quid now or more, you know, so. I mean, there's, there's people nowadays, whenever they get flood damage, that they, they make a video about it and kind of e-beg to get people to replace it for them, you know, so. <laughs> Yeah, that, that wasn't that wasn't as, as you guys I'm sure know that back in back in those days in the early two thousands that wasn't required. Nobody wanted this stuff. It was just get it get it out of my shop or get it out of my house. You can have it, you know, just get it just get it away from me. <laughs> oh brilliant. But I mean, so where where did your journey with Sega begin then, Tom? You know, what, what was your kind of your starting point with Sega? 
Wow, that's that's a, that's a deep question. Um, so I, <laughs> that's what we do here. We don't like to get you thinking. <laughs> yeah, no, um, it's a good question. So I, I was aware of Sega because obviously I was I was a gamer from a very young age. Um, but my journey with actual gaming systems started with an Amstrad. Um, I, I do have very vague recollections of we we have me and my brother we have this Tandy thing back in our. <laughs> very distant pasts, um, which was like a grey box that had like, you know, like Pong clones where you could just like... Yeah. And it, the, the thing that I remember the most about it was the fact that it had this massive black revolver with it where you could shoot this dot on the screen. And then that was that's my earliest memory of, of gaming. Fast forward a few years, we got an Amstrad for our birthdays. Me and my brother were twins, so we, had, we share a birthday. So we got an Amstrad for our birthday. And um, that was when I kind of really got into gaming. Um, so it had like a tape deck on it, and uh, yeah, we'd play things like Ghostbusters and um, all these. Like, um, there was a company called Amsoft in the UK that made these games from, yeah. with this character called Roland. So you had like Roland on the ropes and Roland in the caves, and they were absolute garbage. Do you know what I mean? Looking back, but <laughs> it, <laughs> it was just something to keep it entertaining. You know, you put the tape in, and you'd have to wait like half an hour for the game to load, and then sometimes it wouldn't load properly, and it'd come up saying like syntax error, or yes. like, you know, read oh. or read error B or something. And it's like, oh my god! Anyway, we found out about this thing through my mum. My mum's boyfriend at the time was quite into gaming, and um, he had ha- heard about this thing called the Mega Drive, this mystical thing. And we we're like, oh yeah, and, he, and the first thing he said to, to me, and my brother was, oh yeah, you can put, you can put. The, so the, the major selling point was you could put the games in, and you didn't have to wait for it to load. And we were like, no, <laughs> no, I don't. But I, unless I see this with my own eyes, I do not believe this. <laughs> anyway, we went to a, we went to a friend's house who had a who had a, a, a Japanese Mega Drive, and and that and 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 they showed us this witchcraft and we were just like blown away you know wow and it was an import one because it had um oh the game was um it was a, a little man that looked like a, a floating bin um is it atomic robo kid or something like that, oh, that ring a bell? Yeah. do you know what i mean yeah, yeah I it was, amiga <laughs> yeah it was that that was the game that, that, that they had and they also had sonic the hedgehog obviously and um, it was just mind blowing to see this system. Like, wow, look at this! You don't have to put tapes in it; it just plays straight away. The graphics are amazing. So, yeah, I completely skipped the um, the mass system because I just I was completely oblivious to it. I was only about ten, ten or eleven at the time. So, yeah, and then we got the Mega Drive for Christmas the following year, and it was just like, I'm you know I'm I'm fully invested now in Sega as a as a, as a platform because it was the first thing that we really got that was a proper gaming system and it was just from there onwards yeah Sega all the way to be honest so what I take away from that is between the three of us we've got the whole 8-bit trifecta <laughs> I was C64 James was uh, Spectrum, Spectrum and you had the CPC yes. <laughs> you know I mean? yes I was just sitting here thinking that it's like how, how often you get, you get kind of British gamers of a certain age and they come on and their first memory is a game loaded off a goddamn tape <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's mad, isn't it? There was no, there was no NES. Like, I don't remember the NES ever being a thing. I mean, I know that people talk about it like retroactively as like being the the big system that everybody had. But thinking back to those to those days, I didn't know anybody that had a NES. Nobody I did. One so. one person in school I remember, a wee guy called Kenny had a, a, a NES, 
and I remember they had the Turtles game, and I was completely blown away by like, how this Turtles game, it just it looked so dark and edgy, and yeah. it moved so fluidly, and then I remember getting like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, or Hero Turtles, the Spectrum game, and Oh, it was just so bad. <laughs> it was it was nothing like it. And it was the turtles were, they were like these green blobs with like vaguely different coloured, kind of mildly different tone of green shells and like a shitty little line from what was meant to be a bandana. <laughs> and it was so bad. But that whole syntax era thing just that yeah. that's, that that's just that that timer in the top right hand corner. When you got to the last ten seconds, man, that was nerve jangling. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> do, you the, do you remember the loading screens that used to like like in lines go across oh, yeah. and like well, it'd be like? <laughs> I was I was actually playing mine the other day. My, I've got my C sixty four in front of me now, oh, and um, I've just changed my setup around so I can actually play it because I couldn't fit the tape deck on the desk before, so I've changed the desk around. So anyway, I, I, my son comes in, he's like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "I'm just playing this old old computer." I was like, "What are you playing?" I was like, "Oh, Terminator 2. So I put it in and it oh, loaded wow. and loaded. And he's like, how long does it take? It's like, you know, it's not, it's not as long as your Grand Theft Auto 5 takes to download, but it takes a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so obviously all the flashing colours, like, what's that? I was like, it's just loading the data. It's all right. It's, it's like, and then then it started like scrolling up. You see the Terminator's foot all pixelated. Dun, 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 yeah. dun, dun. Got all the way up to the top. And it said, please turn over the tape to load the rest of the song. <laughs> See that this is that that that's just like that Christmas as well. I've mentioned before to you, Dan, when I got Robocop <laughs> 2 for the Spectrum. And like my mum has says to me it's the quietest Christmas day ever, it's the best Christmas day ever because there wasn't a peep out yet because I sat behind the couch. I had a wee black and white kind of 14-inch telly, my spectrum was hooked up to it. Right at the very start, and I got this Robocop 2. And I'm loading it, and again, it's drawing the lines, and it's drawing. It's mm. a movie poster. It was like Murphy's head, which was meant to be the shadow of Kane. If you'd seen the movie poster, you knew that's what it was meant to be. But <laughs> it looked, it looked fuck all like it. Let's be honest, right? <laughs> and then at the, the timer up the top right hand corner, and it would get to zero zero dot zero zero dot zero one. Flash, flash, error, cut out. I sat and tried that out of sheer defiance about seven or eight times at 25 minutes ago. My mum only seen me for Christmas dinner, then I pissed off again to keep trying it. <laughs> and then you had to go back to the shopping Boxing Day, but it's not like today where you take like a game back and they go, all right, we try it. This gun doesn't load, there's a replacement. Now they stand in the shop and wait 25 minutes for them to verify that it didn't work <laughs> before they give you a new tape. See? Can you imagine that now in CEX or something? It's like taking a... <laughs> <laughs> My tape doesn't load. Yeah, all right. We've got like 10 others to do first, so you have to come back next week. <laughs> the queues are bad enough in there as it is. Aye. Right, yes, slip. We need to test it. Can you come back? 11.45. <laughs> oh, so, Tom, you got the Mega Drive, and uh, it was love with Sega from there, was it? Was there any particular game that, that drew you in, or was it just um, the console and that experience itself? It was, I mean... <laughs> Because we had this, the Mega Drive um, from quite early on, as I understand it, looking back, you know, retroactively, um, it was just like, it was just this constant that we had a Sega system in the house. So we had the Mega Drive, we got a Mega Drive System 1, and then when the Mega Drive 2 came out, um, uh, my dad got one because we used to go and visit my dad at the weekend, so we, he got a Mega Drive so he could keep us entertained, but it was the Mega Drive 2, and like, oh, Mega Drive 2, and then... 
when other things came out, like other like add-ons and peripherals, it was just like, oh, there's something else to get. So like <laughs> Mega CD and then 32X, you know, and, and it was always just like, you know, keeping up with like what was going on with Sega. Um, and, and through that, rightly or wrongly, in my mind, Sega was like the, 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 the brand and the system to have because all my mates had them. And it was just like, as, as you said earlier on, James, it was like, I know you were talking about something else, but it just made me think of this. It was like dark, edgy. You had all the blast processing kind of advertising. It was like seen as like the sort of the, this might sound really like sexist now in this current climate, but it seemed like the the, the boys' console to have. Do you know what I mean? The yeah. teenage boys, young lads' console to have in the bedroom. You've got Sonic. You've got all these games like Alien Storm. You've got football games like World Cup Italian 90. Do you know what I mean? It was just like, yeah. Um <laughs> I was aware of other systems at the time. Uh, my sisters got a Super Nintendo for Christmas about two or three years later, but they never really played on it. And the only game they had was Kirby. So when I saw them playing it, I just associated the Super Nintendo with like, <laughs> like as being like a. I know it sounds really bad, but like being like a girls console because that's the only game that they and we would get the Sega. Mag- me and my brother would get the Sega magazines. We get Mini Machine Sega and Sega Power and all that stuff and they just didn't get anything and they just weren't interested. And all they had was like Kirby. So we're just like, <laughs> what was that? Do you know what I mean? We'd play on it occasionally. We're just like, this is a bit rubbish, really. It was only really when we, we had other friends that had Nintendo systems like the SNES that we like would borrow games off them and go, well, let's see what we can play on this thing because it's a bit different to the to the Mega Drive. And then we the whole world opened up of like, you know, uh, Street Fighter and all the Super Mario games and it was it was like um you know imagine like having your whole mind set on one kind of type of film but then suddenly finding like I don't know romantic you know comedies or something and you're like oh I'm gonna explore all these other games and so it was like it was like a, almost like an epiphany that there was this whole other ecosystem of different games so even though we were very much a, a Sega kind of me again me and my brother were very much like Sega focused we, we kind of knew that there was this like other world out there of like Nintendo stuff. And I don't really think there was any kind of rivalry or like animosity towards it. It was just like, okay, my sisters have got a SNES. We've got friends who've now got Nintendos as well. So we have to just get a cartridge off them every now and then and play a game that, that you know. So, yeah. I hope yeah, that I answers think, the question. No, no, it does. I mean, it, <clears throat> I think that's what everyone was like back then, though. We just all played on each other's, all each other's systems, you know. I, Sega was kind of the dominant brand where I, where I was, um, mm. so I didn't know too many people with a Super Nintendo. Uh, I only knew one with a with a NES at the time. But um, yeah, if you wanted to play Turtles in Time or something, just go around your mate's house and, and play that. And if they wanted to play Sonic or Streets of Rage, they'd come over to you. So there was just no, there was no. It was it seemed more an innocent time then. <laughs> yeah, it seemed it seemed it seemed very sorry sorry James. It seemed very siloed from from me looking back. It was like you had a particular system. You only really because the internet didn't exist then, obviously. Yeah. So there was no there was no like console warring really for me in my experience. It was just like right, I've got this system, so I'm just going to look for games for that thing and play the games that are on that thing. Because why would I be interested in stuff on the other thing? Because I don't have that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Even though my sisters had one, it was like their console, so I didn't really pay much attention to what was on the Nintendo platform. Only when friends sort of came to the fore that had them and were like, okay, let's see what Street Fighter's like. That, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it is, though, that, that thing you said there, it's like, 
back then I don't remember, <clears throat> excuse me, like they're keen, and the way things are just now, it's really toxic. Whereas like back then you would take like your computer to your pal's house. If it was different, they would bring theirs to yours. You know, you always they always had the Safeway bag. They would always bring their things from mm. you know. It was like the mum would walk them to the corner and make sure they never get mugged coming up. You know, with carrying <laughs> a a bag full of like, games and stuff. And it was like just different times. But I mean, I didn't really. I was aware of like the Mega Drive and SNES, obviously, and I had friends at school who had them, but I didn't kind of like getting with them too much because I must have also been in the kind of more nerdy computer club area of school because I had the Amiga at the time you know so <laughs> so well you were talking about Street Fighter 2 and Sonic we were talking about floppy disks and X copy so you know what I mean <laughs> so Tom did I hear you right then did you get did you get the Mega CD and 32X as well Yes, um, so we got the uh, well I, I tell a little bit of a lie there actually um, we got the we got the multi mega. Oh, okay. It was the so the little tiny mega CD and Mega Drive in one thing. Yeah, they're lovely little was, things. Oh, it was great. Yeah. Um, so that was that would have been around that would have been Christmas ninety five, and we got this thing this this multi mega, and we were like, Whoa, amazing! <laughs> we put CD games in it, and we put like we played. The, I remember the first time playing like Road Avenger. Oh yeah, and um, <laughs> that was just like. Oh my god! It's a cartoon. It's actually a game. <laughs> like the fact that it's actually not really that interactive didn't really matter to us. It was just like, wow, this is like actual video footage in a game. Like video, uh, we had a couple of games. Where we had like things like there was one called Wonder Dog, which I remember for some reason. Um, um, Sewer Shark, yeah. Um, Star Wars Rebel Assault. Um, all these games came sort of after that Christmas. But the thing that kind of made it bittersweet was the fact that. Um, my my brother, me and my brother's best friend, who lived literally right around the corner, that Christmas he got a PlayStation. So while we were kind of thinking this was amazing, and we were telling him like, "Oh yeah, we got this Mega CD thing, you know, this Multi Mega," he was yeah. like, "Oh, I got a PlayStation." But like, what? So we went and seen his PlayStation. We're just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> "What? What is this?" You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> He's got Bridge Racer. We've got Road Avenger. You know what I mean? Like you can't say... <laughs> so, yeah, it was like I say, it was bittersweet, but we were just like, yeah, whatever, you know. Um, yeah, it was just, just what it was, you know. So, but you know, thinking back, you know, my mum, she, she got what she could afford, you know. I'm guessing they were selling multi megas cheap. You know, obviously, can you think about getting a multi mega cheap now? Wouldn't happen no. at the time. <laughs> You know, multi-mega cheap, you know, it's probably like, oh, it's a Sega thing with a CD. She probably thought she was getting a Saturn, but didn't realise. You know what I mean? So, I actually think they were still, thinking back, I don't remember them ever being cheap. Not in, not in, not up until the Saturn years. Um, like, even up to like 96, I remember seeing them at least for a couple of hundred quid. I don't think remember they were, I don't really? remember them ever being, you know, going for I, I mean, she, I mean, she passed away in like 2000 and. 17 so i can't ask her now but i'd love to uh, like with my with my modern head ask her how did you where, where did you get where did it come from that mm. legacy that multi-mega how how on earth did you arrive at that choice for our sort of joint christmas present like it's such an odd thing to get it's, it's such a late t- um period in like console kind of console wars if you want to call them mm. that you know the playstation yeah. was out the sound was out you know why a mega CD? You know, it's just bizarre. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 
We'll probably talk a bit more about Saturn later, but I think that does say a lot about where because at the moment I'm listening to um, Sonic the podcast, Sonic the comic, the podcast, mm. and they basically go through the comic, um, you know, issue by issue. And one thing that's quite apparent is that they they were massively behind the Mega CD and they were massively behind the 32X. And then when the Saturn came out, it just came out with like a, a whimper. But they were yeah. hugely promoting the the, the the Mega CD, and I think it's a case that that sort of that you know, the 16-bit era was still being heavily promoted. I mean, I know if you look at stuff like Console Wars and everything, uh, Tom Kalinske was, wasn't keen to, to move into the 32-bit era straight away. So I think that's it's probably a case that it was still, you know, a hot item. As I say, the, uh, my memory is that they were still quite expensive to buy. So mm. I imagine it was probably still quite desirable at the time. Remember, I remember I wanted one anyway. <laughs> I, I do remember one of my overriding memories of, of having that system at the time was that I... I told people at school what we, you know, what what we'd got for Christmas, and they were like, "No, yeah, what? That doesn't exist. It's not, <laughs> it's not you. Wait, wait a minute. Let, let me just break this down. So you've got a, a Mega Drive and a Mega CD console that you can also use as a personal CD player. What are you smoking, mate? You know what I mean? like, <laughs> so I was like, right. I took it into school, and I was showing people, and I was like, whoa, what is like? Nobody knew what it was. It was just like it was. It was like witchcraft again. It was. Just, <laughs> Because that's how that, I th- I, I, I'm sure that is really kind of like a testament to how bad Sega's kind of advertising was for those systems. You know, like nobody knew what it was. I'd, I'd never seen one before. Opening that thing on Christmas morning, that particular day, didn't. And, and it's only with with hindsight now, as a as a you know as an adult in 2023, that I realise how uncommon that system was and how kind of sought after they are in in the, in the current year. So, yeah. Um, should I tell you how that system kind of met its end? Yeah, go on. <laughs> go on. This it still galls me to this day. Oh, I God. wanted to play the Multimega on the TV in the living room. My brother wanted to play it on the TV in our shared bedroom. Because I pestered him so much, he picked it up and threw it at me. And as I saw it coming towards me, I moved out of the way. It hit the wall behind me and exploded. <sighs> and so that was the end of the uh, the Multimega. Oh, so, God. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, I thought tripped on it, you know, maybe no. stood on it, no, hoovered it off or something. Yeah. But he no. threw it at me. So, yeah. As if a thousand collectors suddenly all screamed out in terror. Aye. <laughs> suddenly <laughs> silenced. If... <laughs> Tom's multi-mega is, this, is the, the seeing eyes version of Alderaan at this point in time. <laughs> Jeez, that's cruel, mate. Honestly, that's just honestly, oh dear. yeah, shocking. But, oh dear. Yeah. but there you go. Um, I think we've talked to consoles a little bit, but Tom, was there much experience in of arcade games, uh, of Sega arcade games? What were your first memories of those, and what were your favourite memories of Sega arcade games? Um, okay, so yeah, this is another good question because. Um, Growing up, I I don't remember having a lot of experience in arcades. Um, the only arcades I really ever saw were like gambling arcades, you know, like where people just played like for like yep. money on like fruit machines and stuff. Because um, where I lived in Manchester, in like sort of inner city, I grew up in a place called Mosside, which is quite a sort of um, uh, what's the word um, deprived area. It was at the time anyway, in sort of like the eighties and nineties. And there, just, there, there weren't any arcades. I only kind of really learned about arcades, uh, as, you know, as I grew up a bit later. The one 
real memory that I do have of an arcade, though, a proper arcade, was when we went on holiday one year to a place called Prestatin in North Wales. Um, and it was like, it was a, it was either a Butlins or a Pontins or one of those kind of holiday park kind of places. And they had, the, the, the only thing to do on the holiday park, it rained incessantly, by the way, I must say. We were there for a week. <laughs> it was like, it was early 90s, like maybe 92 or 93, maybe 94. And it rained incessantly. And the only thing that we had to really do was go into this arcade. So me and my brother would just play on the arcades in, in this holiday park. And I remember they had, um, I think it, it it was the big Sega um, cabinet that was like a, a jet fighter game. Was it G-Lock or something like that? That was one of them, yeah. And it was yeah. like you sat in it and it moves around. Yeah. So they had that. In fact, it might have been later because I do actually remember playing um, Daytona in there. So it might have been like like mid-90s, maybe 95, yeah. something like that. But we spent a lot of time in there. And um, that's probably my earliest memory, really, of, of an arcade. I mean, I don't really have a lot of memories of being in arcades. I, I, I mean, I know you guys chatted about arcades on on the Dreamcast Junkyard podcast, but um, unfortunately, that's that's my kind of limit, really, when it came to them. Obviously, in later years, I've, I've got a... a um, more of a kind of appreciation for arcades and stuff that's come into the Dreamcast, like the Thomas Wave games, that kind of stuff. But um, as, a, as an actual physical person in one of the brick-and-mortar arcades, not a great deal of experience, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, that G-Log, though, I think that would have been impressive to behold. I mean, one of my earliest memories is seeing Afterburner, and I, I was blown away by that. Did you have a go on it? Yeah, I mean, like again, I've, I've played a lot of these games sort of in the uh, in the intervening years between then and now. Going to events like you know the Play Blackpools and the, the the Play Expos around the country and all these other kind of events, um, have experienced a lot of the arcade games uh, from Sega and other system you know other manufacturers. So, yeah, uh, we should pick of the bunch. Out the Sega wise, or Sega wise, yeah. Sega wise, oh god, um, I am a I am a stickler for the old favourites, like things like Crazy Taxi and Virtual Cop and uh, Sega Rally. You know, I like the Daytona big kind of uh, multiplayer um, cab with like you know you can get a couple of mates together play on that. Sounded um, like you were setting up your own one with all your Dreamcast steering wheels and consoles. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he was up to. <laughs> To be honest, I, I had that many. I probably could have, if I had enough tellies, I could have probably tell her. <laughs> Up each side of that guy is just a row of steamers. <laughs> God, yeah, no. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think now to any more sort of slightly more esoteric ones. Again, I keep repeating myself, but I've learned of more games, you know, after the fact. But yeah, again, just, just the old staples like Sega Rally, you know. Um, Virtual striker, that kind of thing, you know. So yeah, yeah, it's 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 funny, isn't it? Because you know, when you when you were a kid, especially growing up in the era that we all grew up in, you have mm. your you're kind of in your, in your as you put it in your silo, aren't you? Because you have your games that you get, and you just play those games. Um, you don't have the internet to tell you, all right, well, there's hundreds more out there just on this system alone. There's mm. all this other stuff that you can find. It's just you 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 found the games and you played. You played what you had and what you had access to. It's not until later that you have this explosion of information, um, and then you end up with, you know, wanting to play more games than you could possibly possibly do it in the, in, a, in a lifetime. 
Yeah, totally. And I think that may really kind of lean into a little bit why I... When I first discovered arcades and, I, and, and I'd been kind of told about how great they were and that they were the, they were the, the thing to... Obviously, as we, as we all know here on this call and people watching... Um, historically arcades were the place where you went because you wanted the best experience of a particular game because it was the arcade could offer so much more than the home console port could ever do but because i was brought up playing home systems like i'd always had a controller in my hand suddenly to be confronted with a a a control stick and a a load of face buttons it kind of felt alien to me and and i felt that the home experience actually played better because I was more used to that. It was more muscle memory of playing with either Saturn joypad or a Mega Drive joypad or whatever it might have been. It it just felt odd to be playing it with a joystick because I'd never really played on a home system with a joystick. So, yeah, I mean, I probably get called a sort of a, a heathen and all kinds of things for saying something like that. But that's just I'm just being honest. You know, that was it was I was brought with a joypad in my hand, not a, not a control stick. So. No, I can totally relate. The first time I played uh, Street Fighter 2 was on a friend's Super Nintendo back in, I think it was 1990. It was 92 because mm. I was dead set on getting a Mega Drive because we had the Master System. I was dead set on getting a Mega Drive, but that very playing Street Fighter 2 very nearly turned me the other way. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Sliding doors <laughs> moment. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, and then I you know, got Mega Drive. I was obsessed with Street Fighter 2 and I was, you know, even though it was just like a year later in 1993, it felt like forever that the Mega Drive got its own version. But I only played a little bit of the arcade game down the swimming pool, and it was like 50p a go or whatever, which back yeah, then was quite yeah. a bit of money. So yeah. I didn't really get to play that much with this with the stick and the buttons, and it wasn't. I was like you, Tom. I was always used to playing with the top with the pad. I was like, I can't play with this stupid stick and stuff. It wasn't until it wasn't until like 2009, 2010 that I started getting into uh, Street Fighter Four in a, a pretty obsessive way that I actually got quite used to to using the fight sticks but no I can totally relate I, arcade sticks felt wrong to me for the longest time yeah. I mean Same, that, that yeah. just goes to show you how you know um, ubiquitous and, and how ingrained Street Fighter 2 became because you played it at a swimming pool I, I played it for the first time at a Burger King <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a wimpy at the time. It's, not, it's a Burger King. Oh, wimpy. God. A, a wimpy in Glasgow Central Station. It's now a Burger King. I've never moved it, but it's just evolved. But that was the first time I seen it. I also remember I played Street Fighter 2 Champion Edition at Deep Sea World. Like, why Why is it a Street Fighter 2 at Deep Sea World? There's some fish. There's a shark. There's Street Fighter 2. That's... You've li- you've literally just unlocked a memory in my like literally locked really far back in my in my sort of deep recesses of my brain. I remember one of the places we used to go as a school trip was a an ice rink in a place called Altrincham on the outskirts of Manchester, and in the corner of this of this ice rink they had a um, it was a rad a radmobile. Um, wow. you know yeah. with a Sonic <laughs> yeah. with a Sonic swinging and, and and I just remember seeing. So, that's Sonic. That, why is Sonic in this racing game? Like and just like watching it in like a trapped mode. But yeah, it, and it was literally. I don't, I don't think I ever played it because I just didn't have a fifty p to put in it. But every year we'd go back there, and I used to always see this Radmobile um, uh, cabinet with the Sonic swinging, and it was just yeah. You've just literally unlocked my memory from me. So yeah, thank you, James. That's there you go. <laughs> How often did you did we stand just watching the track modes? Wish we, we that we had that fifty p. 
<laughs> I remember that. I remember that Red Bull Bill track mode and watching the demo so many times and just being like, I've, I've spent all my money on Virtua Couple already. The thing is, though, back then, like you could get like a can of Coke for like 30p. So it's like <laughs> 30p for me, can of Coke, or 50p to play Radmobile. Hmm. It's a tough choice, you know. It is, it is a tough choice, but uh, yeah. If you get, if you played Radmobile, you got the best. You, you did get the you know the best choice, yeah. really. I think get a, get a packet of Space Raiders for 10p and a Panda Pop for 15p. Still, yeah. still have change. Yeah. <laughs> How old are we, by the way? <laughs> Ancient. <laughs> well, let's tick off, let's tick off all the signs we've had. Wimpy playing games in fish and chip shops, <laughs> loading games on tapes. <laughs> what else? I'll, I'll, I'll give you another one. Right? My, my wife. This is a total tangent. Right? We love tangents on here, right? My wife said to me the other day, if it was last week, she says, "James, do you ever remember getting a golden cup? I remember them. What a bar of chocolate that was." See that Friday night if your mum bought you a golden cup, mate, you, you'd you'd made it. That that was the pinnacle of your. <laughs> it was like it, it was. Like, I think it was Nestle that might have made it, right? But it was like it came, It was like the Willy Wonka like bar of chocolate. It was like a slab. It was like a beautiful caramel inside a milk chocolate, but it came in this wrapper, the most extravagant gold wrap. It was like the golden ticket. So, and a Friday night if your mum took you to the shop, right, you can have anything. <laughs> the golden cup it was like <laughs> and I'm like and just like Tom said like I'd unlocked that kind of random mobile ice rink memory my wife just I, I was having flashbacks it was like <laughs> if it'd been like a sitcom you'd have seen like doo, 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 and I'd be like oh James been taken back in time to like this little corner shop where I got this golden cup on a Friday night. I'm getting, I'm getting like images of, in my mind of like you like stood in front of that golden idol, you know, Indiana Jones, like <laughs> golden cup, putting the stand on the on the thing, like. <sighs> <laughs> oh, brilliant! <laughs> uh, superb, man. Honestly, oh. we are sold. <laughs> yeah, I it's love. Good, it's good to yeah. reminisce. Is I love the uh, YouTube analytics where you look at what, what our audience is, and it's just all <laughs> people, it's all males our age, <laughs> male, female. It's like 100% male, 100% was it between 35 and 49? <laughs> 35 and 49, or something. <laughs> men, men who remember the Chewitz advert with the big dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> I like to chew it, chew it. He's got it. <laughs> That's what you get when you're talking about old games, eh? <laughs> Speaking of which, Tom, we you probably know this, but we do a thing called my favourite Sega, um, where we ask for you know favourite favourite mm-hmm. console, favourite game, favourite music. And we're not going to put it you through that. You're finding too many. You're far too interesting. Finding more more interesting things oh, to ask you. you. But um, you know, which I just thought we have, normally have a little segue into a musical segment. Uh, so I do a quick fire one. Favourite console mm-hmm. is obviously. The Dreamcast. Is it the Sega console or any console? Save it, Sega console. Uh, yeah, I think it would be the Dreamcast. Yeah, but followed closely, very closely by probably by the Saturn. Oh, yeah. It's a it's it's a revelation. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I haven't really spoken about the Saturn on this on this uh, chat yet, but I mean, hopefully we will. In the, we in are. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll go in there. Yeah. It's got its own, its own section. Yeah. But uh, yeah, favorite console, the Dreamcast, closely followed by the Saturn. But I thought, leading us into this musical interlude, what is your favorite piece of Sega music? Putting right. you on the spot uh, now. Yeah, um, there's, there are a lot of really good tracks um, from the from the Dreamcast era, and I, and I have used this one in the past. But I think my favorite track of all time from any game on a Sega system has got to be Jack's theme from Headhunter. Um, it's a Richard Jack's trap track, and it's just chef's kiss. It's got everything. It's got the build up. It's got the orchestral kind of crescendos. It's just. It's almost like a if you could get a John Williams, is it John Williams who did the Star Wars music? Yeah, yeah. If you could get him to do a Dreamcast tune that obviously isn't Star Wars, <laughs> it would be that that track, Jack's theme from Headhunter. from Headhunter, you're watching or listening to the Sega guys, and we have Tom Charnock of the Dreamcast Junkyard with us. Tom, we've been going through your Sega history, and uh, I think we're getting to the most important bit now, which is the Sega Saturn part. Uh, it's fair to say that you've been getting into the, back into the console a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, totally, yeah. So, um, yeah, my history of the Saturn. Should I, should I jump into that? Oh, yeah, jump straight yeah. in, mate. Okay, so I got get my confident. first. Yeah, let's get settling, settling. So uh, I wish I had a pipe. I should have had a pipe in. Like. Christopher Walken. Oh. <laughs> Roaring fire behind me. So it was a cold and stormy Christmas. Uh, Christmas 96, I believe it was. I uh, I got my first Sega Saturn. Uh, it was a present from my from my mother. Um, it came with six games. It came with, I think I can remember these off the top of my head. It came with Virtual Fighter 2. Sega Rally, Loaded, Sega Worldwide Soccer 97, Alien Trilogy, and Thunderhawk Firestorm, Firestorm Thunderhawk 2. Everybody's um, bundle had Firestorm in it. That, 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 yeah, Christmas, that, that Christmas 1996, again, the three of us were all lined up there. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bundle, winter. Yeah. Thunderhawk yeah, I, I 2. Wasn't, Thunderhawk I wasn't 2 expecting was that. Gym. I was not expecting that. I opened that. I can remember vividly opening the, the presents and just like, oh my God, there's so many games. Like I was expecting a Saturn, but I didn't know how many games I'd be getting or anything else. And I also got the, um, it, got the it was meant to come with two controllers, 
But for some reason, the second controller wasn't included, but it did come with a uh, Sega Saturn steering wheel. So all of the two-player games, when me and my brother were playing it for the first like week or so before the shops reopened after Christmas, player two had to use the steering wheel as, as the controller. So we're playing like, <laughs> Sega Worldwide Soccer 97, player two with the <laughs> steering wheel. <laughs> Well, and loaded because yeah, unloaded you could, you could like you could turn to like make the character like turn left and right so <laughs> <laughs> but yeah man it was it was amazing it was a revelation because like I had friends who'd come over like and they and literally that Christmas friends would come over to the house and we would just play Sega Worldwide Talker for hours because it was so good. It was such a good game. It was just like, it, as I keep repeating the word, it was a revelation. Um, yeah, it was so much better than anything we'd played previously on the, on the Mega Drive. Um, yeah, so that was my introduction to the Saturn, Christmas 1996. Uh, and yeah, it was it just kind of reignited my love for, for Sega systems, really. Um, yeah, in fact, I've got my current Sega Saturn here. This is the one that uh, I bought several years ago this is my that beauty yeah my uh gen one it's even got the sort of the fan sort of things on the side this is the one james that you sent me your psu for that i uh installed so i can put a uh a standard uk plug adapter into um but um yeah it was it was a great year you know um, i only had it for about a year because i was one of them kids who I had to get the next thing that came out. I needed to get the, the next thing that was like the, the height of technology. So the following year when the N64 came out, literally the end of that year, I got rid of my Saturn and got an N64. And it was only after about a week that I realized how much of a mistake I'd made. Something that I did again a few years later when I got rid of my Dreamcast and got a PS2, realized about a day later that I'd made a massive mistake. But just going back to the Saturn... Um, yeah, it was a phenomenal year that I had with it the first time because I'd had since since that first year I had a Saturn. I had multiple other systems after the fact, um, but yeah, it was just it was a it was just a wild ride of like getting fully immersed into like three D games, you know, and having these like rivalries with like PlayStation owners at school, and um, I can distinctly remember going because I got the Sega Saturn at Christmas '96. My birthday was in March, March the fourth. The N64 released on the 1st of March, I believe, yeah. in 1997. And I can distinctly remember going into into Manchester, where I lived at the time. And the N64 was the big thing. And I went into a, a branch of game in the Manchester Arndale. And the Sega Saturn section was like so small and sort of scrunched into the corner. And the, it was all about the N64. It was all like Mario 64 um, demo units and all this kind of thing. And the game I remember picking up was a game called Robotica, which was a first-person yeah. shooter. Um, I, I was just desperate to play something like Doom on, on the Saturn, but obviously Doom wasn't out then. So I, I got the, the thing that appealed to me the most, which was Robotica. And I just remember getting it home and just thinking, this is just a bit... This is a bit naff, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I was just like... Is this, is this it? I mean, obviously, it went it went on to be great, but I, I just remember being really dis, like, deflated, like having seen Super Mario sixty four on those demo pods, and then going back home and playing on my Saturn. But you know, it was yeah, you know, it, it went on to be to be a great system. You know, there's loads of great games on the Saturn. So yeah, I know you guys are hugely you know 
in favour of the Saturn. Big, yeah. big fans of it. So, yeah, James's T-shirt there, yeah, of course. So, so when you got one for Christmas, was that was that a present that you asked for specifically? Because you mentioned the PlayStation earlier when you got the the the, uh, the multi mega, and then mm. you're saying that your friends all had PlayStation. You you had friends that had PlayStation. It was like wow. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that me and James said, we both got. Well, I got my Saturn in November 1996 for my birthday. James got his. You got his for Christmas, didn't you? So we obviously got our Saturns the same time. Did you feel a lot of pressure to get a PlayStation over the Saturn? Was or was it always going to be Sega? It was always going to be a Saturn because I'd, a I just liked the look of the system. Um, I, I just like like the look of the the console aesthetically. It just looked really like really cool to me. And you know we'd had Sega systems in our house all this time growing up that it was a natural choice to to, to get the Saturn. Um, there was there was never there was never a chance that it would have been a PlayStation just because it was an unproven system at the time. I'd, obviously, I, as I mentioned earlier, I'd seen things like Ridge Racer, but I mean the Saturn had Sega Rally. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And we'd, we'd we'd seen. I grew up reading things like Sega Power magazine, so obviously they were promoting the Saturn heavily, and um, it was it was a bit of a no brainer. It was it was always going to be a Saturn, and it, it's not. It wasn't like as it is now where people have these kind of rose tinted. Views on the on the system as like being this like two D powerhouse and it was like underused and it was this that and the other you could talk and see blue in the face but it was just it was the new Sega system it was the new cutting edge thing from Sega and as somebody who grew up having a Mega Drive and then a, a Multi Mega as I said earlier um, it was always going to be a Saturn so yeah natural progression really I mean that's the thing as well like the three of us obviously kind of owning our own Saturns. It- almost exactly the same time and it's like just what you were saying there obviously like people it's one of the things that kind of irks me is whenever you see like tweet after tweet of people going how underrated was the sega saturn it's like uh, it wasn't underrated nobody wanted the damn thing apart <laughs> from those it's like you, you actually did feel like you're almost in a little kind of exclusive club because like obviously that's whenever i'd noticed the kind of kind of the console wars in school was like the kind of playstation guys you don't a virtue fighter shit you weren't taken and sega rally shit you weren't ridge racer and that kind of stuff and that, that's never you noticed it starting to kind of build up you know coming and away from the kind of home computer scene you're into the kind of more console stuff <clears throat> so excuse me it, it was kind of you know, to, to see that there is Sega's new system and the excitement of like seeing a Sega Alley. Like, Sega Alley was mind blowing whenever you seen it in, in 96 or 95 on the bootleg sampler. So, I, I it's quite. It's quite kind of endearing to hear, obviously, you know, that you were always going to go down that route, that, that kind of whole PlayStation pressure. You never quite felt it because what Dan and I have always found as well, and again, we've got similar experiences. So, to see if you have would be interesting. Going into kind of game shops at the time, did you ever witness or like experience any kind of retailers sort of almost like kind of promoting the PlayStation over the Saturn? Because we've both seen that like several times. Like, oh, you don't want a Saturn, you want a PlayStation. You don't, you don't want, you don't want Virtua Fighter. Have you seen Tekken? Panzer Dragoon's not that great. Have you seen yeah. this? It's yeah, like, for me, it was, uh, it was, because I had my birthday money and my paper round money in my hand to get one, and I was there was just like, oh. You don't want Nights into Dreams. You want Crash Bandicoot, and I was thinking, "What?" Oh. Like, <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds off. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's no lie. That's what you said. He's like, "Have you seen Crash Bandicoot?" It's like, "Yeah, I don't like it. I want, I want Sega." But yeah, did, did you experience anything like that, Tom? 
just before I answer that question, I just want to say uh, Crash Bandicoot is a it's a fine it's a fine game, but comparing it to Knights favorably is just like <laughs> what, what are you smoking? Do you know what I mean? Um, um so I think just thinking back, I'm I'm really casting my mind back now. One of the enduring things that I do remember is the fact that whenever you would go into a shop, the satin section was always like treated as if it was like the poor man's kind of gaming aisle. It was it was tiny, it was shoved in the corner, there was games, it was always the same games you would see in every shop. It was always the sort of the first party games, all these weird and wonderful third party games that were constantly coming out for the Saturn were either just not there or you had to like get them specially ordered. Yeah. I do do remember that. And I, I, and and while I can't remember specifically speaking to a somebody in the shop who who, who bad mouth the Saturn to me, I do have a story, um two stories in fact, um, which are second hand from of all people, my uh, my mum. Because while I was at school, my mum would say, oh, I'm going into town. Um like she would always say to me, Do you want me to take any of your games to like sort of swap them or anything? Because she used to go take them into town for me. I know it's weird, but um, I'd say, Oh, mum, can you take um, can you take this game? Like, I remember asking her to take Virtual Hide Light because it was crap, <laughs> yeah. Virtual Hide Light, and just get me anything, like swap it for anything. And she went, she took it into town and she and she she got um, she, she said, Oh, the guy in the shop was um, saying this is a good game and this is the best version of it. And she 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 gave me Tunnel B one for the PlayStation. I was like, Mum, I don't own a PlayStation. It's a Saturn. You bought it for me. How do you not realise it's a Saturn? But the guy in the shop said this was the best version. I said, Yes, but I can't play it on my Saturn. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and that so there was that that occasion, and there was another occasion where I I tried to get um, there's a game called High Octane. Do you remember that? It's yeah. a futuristic racing game. Um, and the guy had convinced my mum that the again, that the PlayStation version was the version to get. But she had stood her ground on this occasion saying, no, it's a Saturn that my son has got, not a PlayStation. So she did actually get the Saturn version, but she regaled me with the story about the guy in the shop saying the PlayStation version was better. But if you play the PlayStation version, you know for a fact that it's not better because it's an inferior port with high octane. Why are we talking about high octane? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's bizarre. I mean, trying to sell... A game for a console that you don't have. Is... I can't believe it. Honestly, that is that is God's honest truth. It. She gave me a copy of of PlayStation Tunnel B One. I was just like, <laughs> that's that's the proof that they were on commission, mate. I'm telling you, it was bizarre. Does, does, doesn't matter you know? if the, the guy doesn't own that system. Just, I do. That's the best version. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It is. I mean, thinking back, it is. I mean, the the, the kind of the, the hearsay and the, the word of mouth kind of it, it kind of saturated the, the conversation. Um, again, because the internet wasn't, it, it was a thing at the time, but it wasn't anywhere near like it is now. So it, it always, it almost ran on like word of mouth. And when when I got my Saturn, there was a core group of friends that we all got Saturns together because we all, we'd all had Sega systems growing up. So that first, you know, going back to school after that Christmas where everybody got a Sega Saturn, it was like, oh yeah, Sega Saturn, amazing, amazing. But then as time went on, it was like seeing like your comrades fall in battle, do you know what I mean? One by one, they fell to the, the hype of the PlayStation, it was like, oh, such you know, Wayne, Wayne's, Wayne's got rid of his Saturn, he's got a PlayStation now. Oh, 
oh, you're dead to me now, you. And then, like, Damien, he's got rid of his Saturn. It's like, oh, what? Why? Like, you're, you're, like, honestly, you're like Obi-Wan Kenobi watching people turn to the dark side here. Honestly, mate, honestly, it, that's a really good analogy because that's what it was like. Um, everybody was just kind of turning to the dark side and eventually it got to the point where it was just like me and a couple of others like sort of stood fighting the good fight, you know, until I eventually succumbed myself and ended up getting an N64. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not completely uh, guilt-free, but um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least you had a core of friends that all got Sega Saturns. I mean, I was I was the only one I knew that had a Sega Saturn at the time. And I remember mm-hmm. all the stuff in the PlayStation mags. My, my friend would delight in showing me the PlayStation mags, calling it the sad turn and the Sega's black box of not many tricks and stuff. Um, and it was just like, I'd bring it over to show people and I'd be like, Oh, right. Well, I said, no, play, honestly, play, play this game, Guardian Heroes. It, honestly, it's really good. And people would be like, Oh, it is really good. I like, I, I'm telling you, it's, it's a, it's an amazing system. <laughs> but my my like, story like that, my story similar to that was when a couple of friends came over to mine to play, uh, on the Saturn, it was they, they came over to play Worldwide Soccer, but I put nights on just to show them. Literally, that game took over. It was like people were, next day at school was like, "Oh, Tom, what's that game called we play at your house?" <laughs> it's amazing. It's like you're flying around, and it's just like yeah, and it's like it, it was, people was just like ch- talking about nights because I showed it to a couple of friends at my house the night before. You know, it was great. Yeah, we we did we did a better job, I think, in our kind of our, our, our kind of friend circles. Of promoting the system as Sega ever did, you know what it's like. Yeah, I remember seeing it. I remember the first time I saw a Saturn advert. It was Sonic R. Yeah, and it was that was quite late in the Saturn's lifetime, and I I think I'd already got rid of my Saturn by that point. But I just remember being like kind of a little bit sort of taken aback by the fact there was actually a Sega Saturn advert on TV on like actual prime time TV. Yeah, and I was just like, that's that's weird. I've never seen a Saturn advert on TV before. I only yeah. ever seen the the Saturn advert, the launch one with Daytona, with you know Valkyrie. I seen mm. that once, like, I, like whenever I, I, I kind of came across it again on YouTube years and years later, and it again like, with Tom, that kind of it just kind of like, triggered something in the back. I, like, I can remember it was I was at my, my my grand's house watching it, and I can remember the telly that I seen it on, and in, in that corner in the living room, and I'm like, but I can't remember what. Kind of time frame it was, whether it was like kind of like evening or afternoon. It was. Just, I just remember seeing that whole. Oh, it's Valkyrie. Does he design the games? No, he executes them. And then like you'd virtual fight and then Dragoon, and then the eyeballs get sucked out the socket. The, the, the Dora <laughs> car crashes, and it's like starting flies through the air and smashes open. And then the guy's in a stretch, and that's him. He's 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 out the game. But like, I only ever seen it once. No. So like it was such a great advert. I just don't understand why there was no like put it on during Gladiators or you know I don't yeah. know you know put it on prime time. At least that was a decent advert. I remember the night. I remember the Knights one and the Knights one. It was on a few times, and I remember seeing it. You know, the, the Sega Saturn logo and the footage, and I was like, oh, Sega are actually pushing this one, and it was just. It was borderline incoherent. You know, he's seen that Simpsons episode across the clan. Is that clip where he's got the cigarette in his mouth? He goes, "What the hell was that?" That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what I felt like afterwards. <laughs> so, no wonder no one's buying it. This PlayStation is this marketing juggernaut. This, this, this nailing. This, you know, it's so cool. And it was just, it was just the most oddball advert. I was just thinking, no one's going to buy this on the back of that. No, I know I was a teenager at the time. Yeah. God, no. I can't. I can't remember that one to be honest. That one's that must have slipped. Slip past me, but um, 
Yeah, it was it was lacking, wasn't it? Let's be honest. The, the advertising for the Sun, it was just non-existent, really, was it? It was, it, it outside, was. Of, outside of the outside of the like specialist kind of press or those like us who went searching for things like Saturn Power or or this official Sega Saturn magazine. It was just where was it? It felt like. Did it feel to you like it, that you were part of like this some sort of secret club that you knew that this thing was amazing, but no, no one else appreciated it. I don't know. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, yes, yes, in the fact that we had all these amazing experiences that other people kind of were almost ignorant to because they were more interested in playing the sort of the mainstream games, if you want to call them that. But also a little bit sad because I would also get like multi format magazines like Games Master at the time. And I'd be flicking through, I'd be like, oh, what are the latest Saturn games? And there'd be like two reviews. And it's just like, there's more games in this coming out. So I'd have to rely on the actual Saturn specific magazines to get my actual news fix. Um, so it was almost like the mainstream gaming press had a part to play in not promoting the Saturn as much. And if there were games on both systems, it would always be the PlayStation version that got reviewed, like things like World League Soccer or you know Tomb Raider or whatever they might have been. It was never the Saturn game that was given the sort of the, the limelight. It was always the PlayStation version. It was just like, but this is on this is on my system as well. Why yeah. can I not get the news that I want? You know, don't get me started on Games Master. I, I'm convinced they had it in for Sega. I mean, when they gave Sonic, <laughs> when they gave Sonic, I've hated them ever since they gave Sonic the Hedgehog two sixty five percent or something back in back in, <laughs> back in 1992. I've had several rants about. I've, I haven't posted in the blog for a while, but there's several blog posts where I have little rants about them. And they gave Sonic 2 65%. They gave Street Fighter 2 like a lower score than the SNES version. And then, yeah, like you say, Tom, they they largely ignored the Sega Saturn. With C, C and VG are actually were actually really good to the Saturn, I, I found. But like games like, like World Wide Soccer got that high five perfect score actually. from them. <laughs> but um, yeah, a lot of the press, like you say, just, just, uh, just had it in for it, or just weren't interested. PlayStation was the cool thing. Yeah, yeah, I think that was that was very much the the sort of the the mantra at the time when it? it was PlayStation this, PlayStation that, and yeah, you, if if you weren't if you, if you didn't own a Saturn and you you weren't interested in like the gaming scene at the time, I've said this several times now, but and with the lack of the the internet as we know it now, you could almost have not even known the Saturn existed, and I can, I can totally see why people some people just it completely passed them by because. It, it, it's almost like it didn't, you know, for people who weren't there in the scene. I don't know how much. That's the thing that I know that Monko was like a pure techie guy, that he always had to have the latest kind of stuff, but like he was again, like kind of home computer stuff, home cinema stuff. He took me to the arcades, obviously, you know, that's where the kind of bug bit and playing Virtual Fighting every kind of like weekend and stuff like that. But I, I still don't know where he. Found out about the Saturn because like, obviously he, he bought that one. He 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 went out in the morning, went to Comet and Partick and and bought it, and had it ready for me coming up to visit in the afternoon. But like, how how did you hear about it? Like, yeah, how did you yeah. know about this? It's like what what made you aware to go out and buy this new Sega console? It's like, and if you'd never done that, then you know probably wouldn't be sitting here now. So you know, but it's just crazy. Like that's what you said there, like, that the lack of awareness around it, like you were talking about how your your mum. What what made her go and buy you a multi mega? Like what made Monko <laughs> pick up a Saturn? You know, it's like why? God, of all the things I'd love to ask my mum now, it's like not not anything about her childhood or growing up in like the fifties. And it was like, why did you buy that multi mega? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna get a Ouija board and ask her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh. 
If the lights start flickering, I'm out of here, by the way. Tom, what are you what are you playing on your Sega Saturn now then, now that it's um, restored and uh, that you're able to play your, your that sleek little Japanese number you got there? Well, um, since you guys did your um, very good uh, and very entertaining uh, football uh, World Cup episode a couple of couple of months back, I just went down a rabbit hole of getting all these football games. So <laughs> give, give me a sec. Sorry, one, one second. See that, no, Tom? That's why we that's why we said to him. You know, we were talking before you came on air, Dan, about you know Zoom calls and Teams calls where you're on at work and sometimes you get caught short wearing your boxer shorts and, and, you, and, and you get kind of a bit paranoid. That sorry, you very, very unprofessional dress. of me. No, sorry, yeah, I was it. just saying, Tom, this is why you've just proved why you don't wear boxer shorts on a Zoom call. Exactly, that's it, yeah. <laughs> What we spoke about before we started recording, you know that, that you never you never know when you have to stand up on camera. There we go. It's very true, mate. It's very true. Um, now uh, I've got I, I, I did go on a bit of a spending spree on eBay after I listened to your um, your recent episode about drink, uh, uh, Sega Saturn football games, but I did also buy some other things as well. So things I've been playing at the moment. These are the things I just grabbed off the shelf that I've been playing recently. Is uh, this is King of Boxing? But it's uh, it's actually just uh, victory uh, victory boxing. Victory boxing. Yeah, JVC Victory Boxing. I do obviously love that game. The, the classic that is Sega Rally, obviously. Um, but uh, two games that you'll know very well. Uh, it's basically Worldwide Soccer 97 and 98. So, um, yeah, the 98 World version. Version. Yeah, the 98 version is the, the is World Cup. Is that the World 98. Cup one? Oh, oh Cup brilliant. One. That's the best one. So, yeah, so obviously, in, for those people who maybe don't know, in, in the West, we got uh, the EA Sports. Road to World Cup and World Cup 98, but in Japan they got Worldwide Soccer 98 World Cup Edition, which is just, like, awesome. And I think in they also got, uh, the, on the N64, it was um, ISS, uh, wasn't it? The, um, it was ISS 98, but we done as a World yeah. Cup game. Yeah. Um, oh, so, did they get the yeah. license in Japan? I didn't know that. I've got, did, the, yeah, I've yes. got the PAL version, but I've not, I've not played the Japanese version. Oh, yeah, the, awesome. the Japanese version is officially licensed as as the uh, World Cup '98. So, yeah, but yeah, it's just just a, a couple of games that I'm playing on the, on the old Saturn there. Um, I do need to get one of the, uh, the, the one of the ODE options that that you guys have mentioned on on here several times, but uh, not got around to it yet. But in the future, I will. Yeah, it's uh, just too many that are just unaffordable these days. <laughs> so, that, mm. That's that. No, but no, it's it's great as well, you know, that I mean you sent me a couple of pictures of those on WhatsApp, Tom, and if you were picking them up, I was like, was on was on eBay doing some shopping, I was like, Oh, influencers again, man. We're, we're you spending... you influenced me. <laughs> we're spending other people's money now, that's that like... by proxy. I did, I did buy a load of others as well, but they, they didn't they didn't arrive and then when I sent the seller a, a, a sort of a message asking what happened, they just basically refunded them all and I was just like, Oh, that's weird. But they never told me why or or what happened. So a bit of an odd one. I had some classics as well, like things like Daytona USA, Daytona CCE, um or just loads of random stuff. Uh, I think I got Robotica again just for for old time's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got uh, the Japanese June, version uh, of it. I can't remember what it's called. Oh, it's gonna bug oh, me now, uh, but but Robotica has got a different name in Japan. And uh yeah, it's 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 not great. <laughs> have you have you played much of it? Uh, played about an hour of it and couldn't go anywhere. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's it's got an odd mechanic. I'm trying to remember how it how it works now, but you, it, 
I remember dying a lot and just being alright. It's a very poor. It's a, it's a very poor sort of first person shooter with like a sort of a sci fi theme. But yeah, um, don't people listening to this don't don't buy it. Cause it's not <laughs> <great>. <laughs> or maybe you're a big fan. I don't know. You know, you might be. So <laughs> that that, that two man robotica fan club on the in, in the comments. <laughs> Tom, cancel, cancel. <laughs> so after the, after the Saturn, then it was N sixty four, and then was it N sixty four to to Dreamcast? It was, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, went from the Saturn to the N sixty four, straight to the Dreamcast. Um, I, I I I think the reason being that again, I keep mentioning my mum on this podcast, so I'm sorry. Uh, Mum, if you're listening, but she she was like she she was she was she was really dead set against me having multiple systems at the same time for some reason, and she, she tried to stop me from playing games as much as I did because I think she thought it was a bad influence and didn't want me reading magazines and just thought it was you know I was getting too into it. So she was like, "You're not getting another system until you get rid of the other one." And I was like, "Yeah, but they've got different games." And she was like, "You're not you're not having multiple game systems at the same time." Obviously, as adults now, we can just buy what we want. But then, because I was kind of well, living in her house under her rules, you know, she was just like, "No, you're not having another. You're not having a, a Dreamcast and an N64." So I had to get rid of the N64 before I could get the Dreamcast. Um, so yeah, uh, it was like a natural progression, really, wasn't it? Dreamcast came, and it was just like this is head and shoulders above anything else that we've ever seen before. So it's again no brainer. Um, I wasn't kind of like a Sega, like hardcore diehard at that point. Still not now, to be honest, but it was just the next best thing that was coming out, so yeah. I went and got that, so, yeah. And the rest is history. Indeed. <laughs> there you yeah. go. Uh, <laughs> the, the seeds were sown at that moment. So, obviously, your, uh, your love for the Dreamcast post-Saturn is well-documented, and obviously we've got, you know, 17 years of blog posts and podcasts <laughs> and all sorts that our listeners can go to you on, but... Uh, You've obviously been a huge part of the Dreamcast enduring popularity. Obviously, you were a bit of a Sega style, weren't you? Saying you wasn't when you picked up the Dreamcast, but you know you were very much a, a Sega guy back mm. uh, back in the Mega Thank Drive you. and Saturn games. Yeah, um, yeah. Do you think that the Dreamcast is held in a different light by the gaming public at large compared to other Sega systems? So, I think me and James have commented before that it's it's looked at differently by I think the PlayStation crowd kind of hold it aloft very differently and for very different reasons that I think Sega yeah. fans do. Aye, I think that the way we worded it, Dan, is that you can tell the difference between Sega Dreamcast fans and Dreamcast fans. There's, I think there's a very... It's the community, I think, is the only Sega console where, because of how people have come to it, I think the Dreamcast attracted a, a healthy dose of that kind of PlayStation demographic. And I think as such, maybe that's where we're kind of going with this question, is it? do you think because of that, that it is maybe held in a different regard to other Sega systems that came before it? That's, that is a really, that's a really good question. A really intriguing one as well to think about. Um, I know when, um, and not to plug my own podcast, but when we spoke to um, Giles Thomas, who was the head of marketing at Sega Europe. That was a great recently, episode, by the way. He, he said that, they had tried, especially in Europe, to, to sort of distance the Dreamcast from the PlayStation. That's right. Because they wanted to be anything but PlayStation. But I think what they actually did was they 
they actually did end up attracting that audience just because they wanted to mark or they marketed the Dreamcast as a sort of a lifestyle product. It's certainly in those kind of early days, you know, you had magazines like the official Dreamcast magazine, certainly in like Europe and the UK, which were very minimalist, very kind of straight laced and almost the Dreamcast was less a games console, but more a piece of technology to, to own that was also a, a web browser, which was the to be the centerpiece of any kind of uh, young, hip, 20-something with disposable incomes, like um, sort of multimedia setup in the living room. Do you know what I mean? So as somebody, as you guys are, who lived through that kind of generation and, and that period, that is very much how it came across to me at the time. With hindsight, a whole new like generation has come to the Dreamcast. And it's interesting, the question you ask about, do you think it's been, do you think it's seen in a different light? I, I, I do in a sense that the sort of the Mega Drive, the Saturn and that kind of thing, and the Mega CD, I, I kind of seen as more pure game systems and they have a very special place in gaming history, whereas the Dreamcast is almost seen as this, it's the it's like the, the the little box that could but didn't, and I think it's the the mystique around the failure of the system, even though it was so, it had all the tools to to, to basically reach yeah. the the very top of the, of the gaming sort of spectrum, if you will, but but didn't, and it, it's that kind of it's that glorious failure that makes it more mystical. Do you know what I mean? It's like because yeah. the, the other systems, like the ones you mentioned, like the Mega Drive and, and that, you know, yes, the Mega Drive was a massive success. The Sega Saturn obviously wasn't, and the, the Dreamcast wasn't either. But the Dreamcast should have been. So I think it's the fact that it's kind of held yeah. on this kind of platform that makes it like a glorious failure. I don't know if that makes yeah. any sense. To be no, because it's it, it burns so brightly for for such a short time. I mean, mm. despite how Dismally, the Sega Saturn performed in in the West. You know, it was supported in Japan from 1994 to, to 2000. So it had a, had six years. Um, it was still in production when I think when Final Fight Revenge was was out. It was supported for quite a while. Whereas the Dreamcast, it was literally from 1998 to, to 2001. And then you get all those the quality of the software in that time, particularly in you know you look at. I remember the year 2000 just being you know, befuddled by just the sheer amount of quality games coming out was just was just mind blowing. So I think I think that yeah. is that is a big part of it. Like you say, it's like it should have by any metric. I mean, if, it came, if that if a system came out today like that, I mean, the PlayStation Five and Xbox Series consoles can't seem to manage a couple of exclusive between them, whereas the Dreamcast had a, had dozens and dozens in such a mm. short time. I mean, that that is the kind of galling thing as well, though. It's like, again, kind of going back to that about what Tom says there about the, the kind of mystique, the fact that it had all the tools and didn't, it didn't get the success it deserves. And that's why it gets kind of quite galling again whenever you see like all these like, all like, kind of like collectors and stuff like that that go, oh, the, the Dreamcast, it was it was a machine that should have been a success. And, you know, it was just, you know, it, it should have been this amazing system and done so much better. And well, well, if it, I, it would have done better if you'd fucking bought one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Like, Couldn't put it better all, myself, all, yeah. All, and, and again, all this shit here, 
like, uh, I remember I picked up a Dreamcast for $10, you know, in a thrift store with a lot of games. And that was about 2007. I really got into it. And I'm like, it was a machine that really deserves so much more. Yeah, you should have fucking bought one. <laughs> like, like, why are you trying to like rewrite the narrative in 2020? The problem with retro gaming in 2023. <laughs> oh, sorry. Hold on. <laughs> fucking meme that well, I think you know <laughs> I think I think we'll we'll come on to that in a second that, that whole topic but for, for me but, as but somebody really who's like it is I mean and for somebody like me who's like really I I, I like I, I see the the Dreamcast I see the whole the whole picture of the Dreamcast and in my mind I kind of separate into different sort of segments and th- what the different um strands of Sega which I do with the Dreamcast is really interesting because in Japan they just went they threw the kitchen sink at the Dreamcast they threw everything at it and you know it was supported up until I think it, I think the last commercial game came out in like 2007 or something yeah um it's quite late was it Karas Kara Karal is that right um um but you know they they weren't they weren't positioning the Dreamcast purely as a gaming system it was a gateway to the internet. It was a way of like buying stocks and shares on the internet. It was a way of getting kids into web browsing. They even had this thing. I'm, I'm sure you were the, the housewife's guide to the internet. Um, they had all these different things. They had the the emulation um, uh, gate. You know the, the emulation packages on the on the various web browsers for the for the Dreamcast. Um, it was basically a, a jack of all trades. I was going to say a master of none then, but it, obviously it was a master of arcade games and, and, and as a gaming system. Slightly different angle in the US, where it was still a, a it was more of a gaming system, but you know they 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 really kind of nailed on the online aspect of it as well, the gaming side of it, and the web browser side of it. And then again in in Europe, it was all the other stuff that went in Japan and and the US was scaled back even more, where it was, you know, it was far, first and foremost a gaming system, but a lot of the online functionality that was uh, lauded in the other divisions of Sega were stripped back so much that a lot of games that were launched in the other uh, territories that were online enabled just didn't have any online capabilities at all. It was just like, okay. I mean, it was such a weird fragmented um, system that it, it, it's quite head-scratching that, that it is so kind of revered now that it, you know, as it is. But um yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just going down sort of rabbit holes in my mind now, just thinking about different things. But <laughs> it's just cut to Tom yeah. winding his cap later on, going, still thinking about it. Like, oh. you know, that's <laughs> that meme from from the uh, from the uh, Hangover where the guy's got like maths things going in front of his eyes. <laughs> I was thinking of the one with the you know with the couple lying in bed and the wife's looking and going, I bet I bet he's thinking of other women, and you're, it's you lying there going. Oh, but I wonder if what if this would have made the dream. <laughs> <laughs> Think, thinking about drycast. Yeah. <laughs> what, what have you done this and that? You know, <laughs> why need your bailout something at a minority report? That's like. <laughs> Like no, no, Peter, Peter, do it this way, do it that way. (laughs) Oh, brilliant! 
Oh, so I think uh, post DC now, post Dreamcast then, Tom, obviously, as we said, Dreamcast met an early end. And I know mm. we were talking about this during the musical break, but now now it's time to choose, you know, those two two questions around post Dreamcast. First of all, what console did you go to to play your to play well, play games in general, but play your Sega games, I guess, is what we're interested in. So after the Dreamcast, um, I just kind of went down the route of getting, again, the, the next thing that was available. And I, again, I think I've told this story on on the Dreamcast Junkyard podcast. Um, and that is that I, when the Dreamcast was, was sort of cancelled, I went and got a PlayStation 2 because it was the thing that was out and it was a big, you know, the bit, it's a big console. Yeah. Um, I didn't have that for very long, if I remember rightly. I, I think I went then and got a GameCube. Uh, and then because the GameCube was like really cheap when it launched, it was like 129 yeah. quid. And it was the next thing, you know, it was the next new thing that was out. So I was like, oh, I'll, get, I'll get a GameCube. And then from that, I went and got the Xbox. So I just kind of went on this kind of cycle of getting the next console that came out until I eventually landed back on the on the Dreamcast when I started the Dreamcast Junkyard. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and, and since then, since that fateful day in early 2005 i've i've just had i've always had the the one constant in my life has been a dreamcast mm. all the other consoles have, have come and gone you know the xboxes and the playstations and the, the nintendo switches and all the other things have come and gone whereas the dreamcast has just been a constant not the same dreamcast because they die so easily <laughs> and you have to buy another <laughs> one to put a powerboard in or a gd rom drive or a motherboard you know me and james we've talked spoken about this multiple times about how how flaky the Dreamcast is as a system, you know, the hardware is just poor. I could just say Galvatron now, it's a pity you Dreamcast die so easily. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would have had some kind of satisfaction now. There's um there's there's in my house there is a, a cupboard that is full of Dreamcast bits and pieces. <laughs> so that when a system dies, I can just go and put my hand on, right, I need a GD ROM drive, I need a PSU. I need a controller port board. You know, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's, I have to just have... It's like, it's like Wally, um, but, you know, when he breaks a little bit of himself, he just goes into his little spare pasture and fixes himself. It's true. Yeah, honestly, mate, they, because they're so temperamental. I mean, people watching oh. this will probably know what, you know, what, what we're talking about. You know, one minute you put a game in and it's fine. The next minute it just won't boot a game. It's yeah. just like, it just stays on the dials. Please insert a game disc. It's like, it's a game disc. It worked two minutes ago. It worked two minutes ago. Do you know what I mean? It's like... That's the, the thing that Tom sent me a video message, and it was literally we had this discussion as he said the other day. There, it's like it, it was like in one Dreamcast open, the other one shell half off, <laughs> like a c- cables running. Fucking one was turned on, but like, was feeding the other one. It was like like, like a donor just lying there, <laughs> <laughs> like giving itself to this other one, and he's gonna. Bits hooked into this bit to capture gameplay. It's like, and as you said, this is the, the side of content creation that people don't see. You know what you're going through because of this flaky system. And I mean, I'm not going to the, the six minute tirade that I sent you back about my own kind of journey. But long story short, Dan got a free GDM unit and nothing wrong with it because <laughs> because I thought my my GDM you was the issue, like with the, the reset and the crashing and the textures disappearing, but multiple. PSU replacements 
turned out it was a motherboard that had went. It was a one of the the caps must have gone, and it was causing under voltage under voltage protection by making your games crash. What kind of morbid <laughs> shit is that? It's like it's funny you mentioned that actually, James. It's it's one of them things about like classic gaming, if you want to call it that, or retro gaming that you know it's very sanitized when it's on the internet, and it's always like you know you don't want to show a weakness by having a system that doesn't work. Oh, you're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. No, it's just janky yeah. the dreamcast is janky is. i don't care who you are honestly you can you can bend as many controller board pins you can polish them as you said james you can change things sometimes it just doesn't want to work and it you is. turn it off and you leave it for five minutes you come back and it just works and it'll work for six months and then suddenly it decides <laughs> nope i've got you I've were got... not playing sega rally 2 today nope <laughs> i've got proven myself and they are they are the jankiest bockiest pieces of crap sometimes that's why i love them though it is it's like the g like the that we were saying about the just this drive yeah it just reminded me the other week i was trying to play virtual striker 2 on my japanese dreamcast and somehow that japanese dreamcast i got way back in april 1999 is still still functional with the original gd rom drive but it still flakes out now and again so i put the disc in and did the old boom 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 and then Back to the back to the boot screen. Oh, clean the disc, wipe it down, get to the AM two the um, AM two screen. Then boom, back to the boot screen. So cleaned it up again, undid it, did um, fiddled with the potentiometer, go all all the way. Then got to the menu. It's like yes, clicked on start a game. Back to the boot screen. I was like, it's so crushing, isn't it? It's yeah. so crushing. It's it's how can how can it, how can like a sort of a, a console like system level sort of uh, not it's not even an animation. It's just a, a process. Be so infuriating, but yet so <laughs> innocuous. Do you know what I mean? It's just. Do you know what I mean? Please insert game disc. It's like ah! <laughs> game disc is in. It's, it's it's in. Fact, that little impression of the noise you did. There, it's the fact the noise is so pleasant. <laughs> it's almost like it's taking the piss at you. It's like, Dring! it's like message. <laughs> oh. we love it, but it's just such a we love janky it. system. We honestly. love it. We, lo- we love it because it's janky. Uh, Tom, <laughs> favorite post Dreamcast Sega game? I know you said. I know you were thinking hard about this one. Yeah. Now I don't know if this actually counts because I think Sega only published it. But I'm gonna have to go with Vanquish. Oh, what a game! Ooh, that's a choice. What a game! That is yeah. a left field choice and a half. That mate, that is a yeah, great game. It's yeah. such a great sort of shooter, um, robotic mech style. Sort of, you can sort of slide around on your knees. Yeah. And stuff, <laughs> and it's just like I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, guys, oh, is this real? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I, I, um, I remember when I first started playing that, that would have been, I've, got, I've actually got it up here on the on the screen here. It's, um, yeah, so 2010. 2010, I was still, uh, I was still in, the, in the Royal Navy at that time. And I was sharing a room with a, a colleague and um, we just played, I played it and he watched while I played it. And it was just, I, I just have that sort of memory seared into my mind of, Playing, playing that game in that sort of little two-man cabin um, with the volume up and it was just an amazing, amazing game. Great memories yeah, on the Xbox 360, I believe. Yeah, I I, um, I played the 360 version, was it last year or the year before? It was quite recent and it, I was playing it, I was just like, 
why have I not played this before? It's absolutely incredible. It's like Gears of War and Metal Gear Solid had a, had a beautiful baby. Yeah. This is absolutely bonkers. <laughs> one, of, one of the best things about it as well, the, the boss fights are so intense, but yet they're so logical. You can see yeah. how you have to beat the boss. Do you know what I mean? And it's down to you. This yeah. is a cliche, but it's, and people say this a lot, I've heard this a lot, but it's, it's not really ever the game's fault, it's your fault if you die. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because it's so. It's such a it's such a technical yeah, masterpiece. Was it was it re-released? Did you say it was? It got a re-release on modern con yeah. So it got a re-release yeah. on PlayStation Four and Xbox One, and uh, yeah. obviously they're both backwards compatible. I think you can play them on four K on the Pro and X consoles. I'm not sure, but yeah. Yeah. What what we were picking those up uh, along with mm. Bayonetta as well. I'm a massive Bayonetta fan, and yeah. Trust, trust Sega to bring it. You, you compare it to Gears of War meets kind of like Metal Gear Solid, but I mean the fact that the guy's literally a robotic toboganist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you want to get the next bit. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Yeah, it's, it's, it. it's definitely a Sega game, though. I mean, it's like um, oh, it's like it's like Bayonetta, even though Platinum developed. Developed Vanquish and developed Bayonetta. It's mm. a Sega IP. So you, even though Sega are basically absolutely nothing to do with Bayonetta two and three, if you look at the Bayonetta trailers and all the Bayonetta legal information, it's all got copyright Sega at the very bottom. <laughs> like a little tramp stamp. <laughs> <laughs> but I win choice. Oh, yeah, superb. Okay. So that brings us to the end of the questions that we had, Tom. Um, it has much like when we were on the your junkyard show, which we, it was an absolute honour, by the way. Um, as That's I said, great, you? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's been an absolute blast. So thanks for coming on. So this is your platform to tell our listeners, our viewers, where can they find you? Where can they learn all about your history of the Dreamcast and and that of uh, that of your colleagues? Yeah, of course. Um, well, if if that like two hours of, of us chatting hasn't put anybody off who's still, uh, still listening. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can find the the Dreamcast Junkyard uh, at um, thedreamcastjunkyard.co.uk. You can find us on Twitter at the DC Junkyard. Um, as I've said before, it's not just me. I have several colleagues who help me do the podcast, which is the Dreamcast Junkyard Dream Pod. You can find that on all the uh, all the you know usual pod, uh, podcatchers, I believe they're called. Um but yeah, there's myself, there's there's people like Lewis, who is like sort of my, my right hand man. Uh, there's Lawrence, there's Andrew, James. Um I'm gonna forget people, but I'm sorry if I do. Uh, Mike. There's there's quite a big group of us, but we all sort of dip in and do different things. So some of us are on the podcast, some of us do the the video stuff, some of us do the actual writing of the articles on the blog, and some of us just do the social media stuff. So we've all got different hats, but there's there's about seven or eight of us in total who do it all um so yeah i can't take all the credit but um yeah it's been it's been a pleasure to be on the on the show sega guys thank you for having me it's an absolute pleasure to have you mate so um to our listeners uh love to hear what you thought leave the comments below you can get in touch catch me at swooper d you can catch james at the sagaholic and catch us both at sega guys but until next time we will see you on the sega side sega